So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to James chapter 3. I'll give you a couple moments to turn there. And as you're turning there, I first want to give you a a real quick suggestion. If you get coffee in the morning, uh, fill it with half hot chocolate and the other half coffee, and it's like a poor man's mocha. It's really good. So, all right. So, James chapter 3, we're going to be continuing our series called Do You See What I See? And the last four times that I've gotten up here and spoken, I've been going through this series, and at the rate we're going, we'll be done in a couple of years, okay? So, it just depends how often I'm allowed to get up here. But we're on part five of this series today, and in this series, we're going to be going through, um, we, we have been going through the epistle of James, and we are asking ourselves this question, do you see what I see? If God was asking that question, do you see what James is telling us about the way that God sees it? It doesn't matter if we see something in scripture and we interpret it ourselves. We have to look at it the way God uh, shows us, right? So week one, we talked about people. We talked about why it's important to see people the way that God does. Week two, we talked about faith, uh, what faith really is and what people have kind of misconceived it to be right now. Uh, Week three, we talked about trials and, and just how when you go through a hard time, James tells us to consider it joy because it's building you, right? It's, it's, it's helping you grow. You've got to see it the way God does. The last time I spoke, the fourth week, we talked about God's word and how it's important that we see the Bible for what it really is. The Bible is not just a recommendation. It's what we are supposed to live our lives by. And all of these sermons are on our YouTube channel, so if you missed one and you want to go back and catch up on them, that's cool. But today what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about words, okay, words. We talked about God's word last time, and now we're going to talk about our words and the things that we say. Before I get started, uh, two things. Number one, um, normally I wear a collared shirt when I'm up here. This is Solid Rock International, okay? So I'm not just wearing a T-shirt, so don't freak out for if, if you don't feel like dressed up. But this is the organization that our mission trip went with, all right? Let me just address that. And then number two, uh, I have a question for you guys. Just by a show of hands, who in here has ever read the book, The Five Love Languages, before? Has anybody ever read this book or you've heard of it? Super popular book. In my opinion, I think it's one of the best books that a married couple can read together. Um, it, helps with this, uh, it helps with communication, right? And, and essentially, the premise of this book is that every person feels loved in certain ways. So as, as a married person, your job is to learn about your spouse the, the way that they feel loved. Because there are certain ways that you show, like a way that you feel loved, you try to show that to your spouse, it might not be the way they feel loved. And so you're giving, 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 and you're like, why don't they feel loved? And well, it's because you're not speaking their love language. There's five love languages. There's the giving of gifts. There's acts of service, physical touch, quality time, which is my wife's love language. I could give her all the gifts in the world, but as long as I spend time with her, that's when she feels loved. For me, it's words of affirmation. I am am a words of affirmation guy. When my wife comes up to me and she tells me that I've done something well, I go, well, thank you. Appreciate that. It feels really good. If she ever comes up to me, she goes, hey, you look great today. I'm like, wow, appreciate that, right? Like the words of affirmation really, uh, really get me. Now, negative words really hit hard when it comes from my wife, right? So if she ever says anything negative to me, it, it hurts, right? Um, in fact, after this service, if everybody in this room came up and was like, great message, it was awesome, but then my wife came up to me and was like, eh, decent, I'd be like, oh, oh, man, I, I would feel, I'd feel devastated, right, because I, I, I want her approval. And everyone in, this, uh, and everyone in this room sometimes, you know, negative statements hurt, right? They say the old adage is that it takes seven positive statements to undo one negative statement. 
all right? So one negative thing you say, in order to get over that, you have to say seven positive things, all right? Think of the impact that words can have. Words have an impact, right? It was words that allowed you to get to know your husband or wife when you two were dating, when you were just boyfriend and girlfriend, right? It was words that you learned a lot about each other. Words are what inform us of what's going on in the world around us. Words can lift you up when you're having a bad day. Words can also tear you down. Words can be deceptive. They can deceive. For instance, in Genesis chapter 3, um, the, Satan goes up to Adam, or to Eve, I'm sorry, and he, he's, he uses words to deceive her. Did, did God really say you can't do that? I mean, come on, did he really say that? And then this is where the fall happened. Words deceived. Last week, deception happened from this pulpit. All right, when Pastor Scott Leewald had you guys to clap for the coach of Michigan football, and you didn't even know it. So deceiving. Now, listen, I, I was telling somebody earlier, uh, I'll, I'll take my, for those of you who weren't here, he says, aren't you guys happy that there's a college, a Division I college football coach who's standing up for pro-life and stuff? And everybody was like, yeah. And he goes, that's the Michigan coach. And they were like, ah, right? Like, it was deceiving. It was despicable. But... But listen, we'll give him where credit is due. God bless him for standing up for the unborn. Amen? Oh, I hope we beat him this year. All right, next. Words can deceive. Words can bring guilt and words can bring shame. Uh, a couple days ago, I had uh, my, my son Jack had a friend spend the night named Isaac, and, and we're hanging out at the house. I've got uh, all the kids. I have four kids. So the next morning, my wife was at work. I had to take my four kids to the in-laws, and I had to take Isaac back to his house. So we get in the van, and I do my count. One, two, three, four, good to go. We take off driving, and as we're driving, my son Jack goes, Dad, where's Mora? That's my oldest. And I was like, wait a minute, I did the count. And I said, oh, there's another kid. It was the Home Alone problem. You guys remember Home Alone, where they counted the extra kid? And I was like, darn it. So I put my turn signal on, turned right back around, and my, my beautiful 11-year-old daughter, Mora, was standing in the doorway, and she goes, you left me. I'm your only daughter. I'm your firstborn. How could you? And for two days, she gave me, she brought the guilt and the shame with her words. Words are powerful, right? Um, so the question that I want to talk about today is, how as Christians are we supposed to handle words? Words can bring life, Words are used for correction. When you read the Bible, the Bible is, it, it, it corrects us often. So we as Christians, we can correct one another in the love of God to, to bring people closer to holiness. We use words to repent of our sins, don't we? we? We speak to God. We say, God, forgive us of these sins. How the Christian uses his or her words is very, very important. It's very important. We sh guys, we share the gospel using words, right? When you go to people, you, you share the gospel. And in just a second, we're going to read James chapter 3, the first part of it. And James, he knew the importance of words. He was very aware of the importance of words, but he also knew the damage that words can bring when used poorly. So this morning, what I want to do is I want us to look and answer this question, how does God view words and how should we view words in light of that? And then what is our responsibility as Christians with what we say? Okay, so if you guys all have your bulletins, on the back of your bulletins, there's two points there, and I'm going to go ahead and give you these points now, and then uh, we left a ton of space for notes if you want to take some notes, but here are the two points. Number one is the power of words, and number two is the hypocrisy of words, and that's H-Y-P-O-C-R-I-S-Y. I misspell that word 100% of the time. So uh, the power of words 
and the hypocrisy of words. So write those in. We'll come back to those. But first, let's go ahead and read. Let's see what God has to say on the subject from James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. If you don't, remi- if you don't mind, out of respect for God's word, let's stand as I read this, and then we'll pray, and, uh, and we'll get started. So this is James chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 to 12. It says, uh, James says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we also curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray, um, I pray Lord, that you guide me in what to say, that you help me um, uh, just represent your scripture correctly. And, and I pray for everybody in this room, Lord, that we can uh, hear from you today and that not only that we hear from you, Lord, but we make changes in our lives based on what your word says. We love you, Lord, and I thank you for every single person that's at this church. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all of God's children said, amen. amen. You may take your seats. So point number one is the power of words. The power of words. Um, we've all heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but, but words will never hurt me, or names will never hurt me. Now, obviously, in a physical sense, this is true, right? Words can't hurt you physically, but we all know that words can hurt you emotionally. They can, they can hurt you mentally, right? And um, in fact, I know people who had something terrible said to them as a child, and they still hold on to that, right? That, it just shows you the power of words. Words are powerful. There's, there's a movie um, I was watching recently about King George during World War II. And during World War II, um, he was the king and he had, this, he had this problem that was very important for him to get over if he was going to encourage and, 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 and muster up pride in his country uh, to stand against the Nazis. What he needed to do was he needed to communicate effectively. However, the problem that he had was that he had a stutter. He had a stammer. He would, he would stutter his words and when he would speak, people would not see the confidence in their king needed in wartime. So what he decided to do was to hire a tutor to overcome this, this stutter, and they would have these sessions. And, and later on in the movie, him and his family, King George and his family, are sitting there, and they're watching the television, and a news flash comes up. And on the news, it shows Hitler uh, speaking to his army. And, and King George just sat there, and he became very jealous of Hitler. He became very um, envious because he wished that he could speak that way. 
Has anybody here ever seen a video of Hitler talking before, right? If you've ever seen Hitler talk, he's very animated. Um, I have no idea what he's saying, right, because he's speaking in German. But whatever he's saying, he's saying it with passion. He was saying it with confidence. And as evil as Hitler was, there's no denying that he was able to motivate his people, right? He could motivate them to do things. I mean, think of the power of his words. With his words, he was able to convince an entire nation to commit unspeakable acts of evil that resulted in the death of over six million Jews. Just with his words, okay? He did this. Words are powerful. So as we begin here, James begins chapter 3 by addressing a group of people who have a similar influence, okay? I'm not saying he's talking to dictators, but he is talking to those people who use their words to instruct. In verse 1, he talks right off the bat to teachers, in this case, preachers, pastors. Let me reread you verse 1. He says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. So back in these days, it was common for young Jewish men to want to become teachers. And as I was doing some research on this, they were saying that the role of teacher was one of prestige. It was one of honor. And a lot of people, it's, it's probably likely that a lot of people who wanted to be teachers might not necessarily want to be a teacher for the edification of the church or all this stuff, but for the honor of the position. They, they wanted to say, hey, I, I want this role because it's going to bring honor to me. It would, instead of honoring God, they wanted to honor themselves, right? And so, you know, it's, it's interesting that he brings up teachers because the main instrument of a teacher is their tongue. The main instrument of a teacher is their words. Like right here, right now, I'm teaching to you guys. I'm talking to you guys, right? And as we read this passage about, um, about the tongue and how it has control over the whole body— some, common, uh, some commentators that I was reading think that this passage also has a little bit of dual meaning here, where when it talks about the tongue and the body, that's actually symbolic of the pastor and the church, meaning that the pastor is the tongue, the mouthpiece of the body, the church is the body, and this makes sense, right, because, because it shows the influence that the words of a pastor can have over an entire congregation. Now, I hate to say this, but I imagine that everybody in here would agree with me on this. There are so many pastors today who are abusing this power. Amen? It's happening. Just go to YouTube, right? I'm burdened over what I see and what I hear coming from many pulpits today. I'm burdened by what I'm not hearing from coming from pulpits today also. I cannot believe some of the things that preachers are saying and claiming that are coming from God. I'll give you an example. I was watching one guy. And he, he, it was right before offering. And he was like, all right, I'm going to give you guys a chance to raise your incomes. Here we go. And I remember thinking, that's, that's the reason you give? Like, that's the reason you give to the church? Like, the, the reason we give to the church is it's a sacrificial giving back to God. We don't want anything in return, right? But people will take this and, and, and they'll twist God's word. This is why we've got to be careful. We've got to be very careful who you allow to speak into your life. We should not be sitting under someone's teaching simply because they hold the title of pastor. So there's a lot of compromise happening within the church walls. So many preachers are neglecting what the Bible says simply to avoid hurting people's feelings. Okay? A.W. Tozer, a famous preacher, he says this. He says, we cannot afford to let down our Christian standards just to hold the interest of people who want to go to hell but still belong to a church. That's a great quote. 
So what I want to do is I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I want to give you three pieces of advice when choosing who to listen to as a pastor, as a small group leader, anything like this. Um, Number one is avoid teachers who make the Bible all about us. Okay? Avoid teachers. You can write this down under point number one. Avoid preachers or teachers who make the Bible all about us. I heard a pastor recently say a great quote. He says, I'm here to teach you about how to get joy, not happiness. And the idea there is that when you give your life to God and you make it all about God, you're living on purpose for God, right? The purpose that we were made for was to worship God. And so when we're worshiping God, we get this inner joy that it doesn't matter what happens to us circumstantially, we still have that joy. So when we hear happiness, we think of, oh, God's going to make me happy. He's going to give me this house I wanted. He's going to give me uh, the best-looking girl in, in college for me to marry, right? Like all these different things. But this isn't the reality, right? It's about inner joy, right, not external happiness. So you want to find preachers and teachers who are going to teach that the Bible is about God, not us. What a novel concept, right? Number two, avoid preachers or teachers who care more about feelings than they do the truth. Avoid preachers who care more about feelings than the truth. Um, I, maybe I'm weird on this, but I love leaving sermons feeling like I just got punched in the gut spiritually. Okay, I don't know if you guys are like that, but whenever, you know, the Bible is full of challenges to us. We have a sinful nature, which means more, a lot of times we live contrary to what the Bible teaches. And when a preacher gets up and teaches us, hey, uh, the Bible says this, and we're, we're going against it, it should feel like a spiritual punch in the gut, right? And you go, oh, I need to change. I always says, I love pastors who give me black eyes, okay? Like, this is what the Bible, it does, right? So, so it, I mean, obviously, it's encouragement. It's for all of these things. But if all you're hearing from a teacher is all encouragement, all happiness, he's missing a chunk of the Bible, okay? So avoid preachers who care more about feelings than truth. And then here's the last one. Avoid preachers who compromise. Avoid preachers or teachers who compromise. We're called to stand out from the culture. We are not called to blend in with the culture, We are supposed to stand strong in our faith. And I've said it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but you guys go to a great church. Obviously, I'm biased, okay, because I work here. But I love this church. I think all of you guys, we should all be honored that we get to be a part of this church. I love this church. And and guys, aren't you glad for preachers like Pastor Frank who stand firm on the word of God and don't compromise? Amen? For the record, I did not say that for a pay raise. I really do believe that, okay? (laughs) Words are powerful, especially when coming from the pulpit. Remember, words are powerful. Let's continue, verses 2 to 5. It says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. So in this portion of our passage here, James shows us three images that show the power of words. A bit in the mouth of a horse, the rudder on the bottom of a a big ship, and then a small fire in a forest. These are all small things that control larger objects. 
Now, for those of you who don't know, a bit is something that goes into the mouth of a horse, and it's, it's up against a sensitive piece of their skin, so that when the rider of the horse uses the reins and steers them to correct, the bit will make it very uncomfortable for the horse, and the horse will do what you tell it to do, if it's a good horse, right? And this imagery is perfect for the control of the tongue over the body. In the same way that the rider controls the horse, the tongue controls the body. While it may be small, have you guys ever stood next to a horse before? Horses are enormous, right? And, and, and you don't want to, like, it's, it's crazy to think that a small person can guide an entire horse. But a tongue is the exact same way. Think of a large ship. A small rudder under the ship can control where this big, enormous ship goes. The last one is, a, think of a forest fire, right? A small little fire can set an entire forest ablaze. I don't know if you guys heard of this or not, but I was, I was reading a story in the news uh, a couple days ago, actually, and there was a guy, he lived in Utah, and he's out in his backyard, and he, he sees this enormous spider, so he takes his lighter, and he's trying to light this spider on fire, not realizing that this spider was on a top of dry brush. And this was during uh, a drought. So he, he does, he lights it, and then the brush lights, and he goes, oh, no. And then, and then the brush goes, and it, and it goes into this forest, and within hours, 60 acres of forest were burned up. Isn't that crazy? Just from one little lighter trying to kill a little spider, right? Okay, I love the analogy, right? If you've ever tried to make a fire using dry wood, dry wood is the best. Why? Because it lights quickly, right? It lights really quickly. And if you're not careful, you can lose control quickly. Fires, you know, this is why we have firefighters, because fires get out of hand really quickly. Our, mouth are, our mouths are the same way. How easy is it to lose control over the words that come out of your mouth? I'll tell a quick story. The, the lady uh, in this story is in this room, but she will remain nameless, okay? She's on this side of the room. All right, but as we were, uh, <laughs> don't, don't look at me like that, all right? So we're doing these announcement videos one day. Back in the day, I used to film announcement videos. And so I was filming, and this, this amazing lady was doing these announcements. And she, she begins to, she's following her teleprompter, and she says the announcement, and she, she messes up on her words. And she goes, oh, bleep, and she says a cuss word. And I was like, what? And none of us could believe it. We're in shock. It was amazing, right? It was really funny because I was just like, oh, I did not expect that during a church announcement video. Okay, sweet. <laughs> and she goes, she goes, I am so sorry. I've been trying to work on my language. I'm so sorry. I'm like, listen, hey, it's totally fine. So then I had it on video, right? So I took the video. I added a bleep over it. And then just to be funny, I added bleeps in random places. So it seemed like she was cursing the whole video, but she wasn't. And so... It was, it was just funny because she makes this, she made the point like, I mean, for, for those of us in here who were not Christians our whole lives, right, like uh, controlling your mouth was probably never a thing, right? And then, and then I've, I know people who became Christians and they're like, this is the hardest thing is controlling what I say and, and not doing these things. It's just like a fire. It can instantly, get, you can ins instantly lose control. What about anger, right? Words of anger that come out. You don't even have to try to be angry, <laughs> Sometimes something that can happen can just make you angry, and then you say something, and you go, that was an overreaction. Oops, right? But this is, this is why that analogy is so good. A bit, a rudder, a small fire, all small things with great power like words. Remember, words are powerful. So if something so small like the tongue can control the whole body, it's reasonable to think that if we can control the tongue, we will have better control of the whole body right? James uh, 2 says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, and listen, able 
also to control the whole body. If you can control your tongue, chances are you're going to be able to control other aspects of your life. So your words then are a good gauge of where you are spiritually. If you have no control over your tongue, if you have no control over what comes out of your mouth, chances are spiritually you need to do some work, right? Wives, don't look to your husbands right now. <laughs> if you lack control over your speech, chances are you lack control over other aspects of your life. And to put it simply, if you can't control what you say, you're probably not good at controlling other things. So with that being said, if we can learn to control our words, which is the hardest thing to do, chances are it'll be easier then to have control over other aspects in our lives. So if you want to grow spiritually, a great place to start would be by cleaning up your speech. Pray that the Holy Spirit will give you the power to clean up the words that you say. Do you need to stop swearing? Do you need to stop gossiping about others? Do you need to stop using your words to tear others down? Do you, need to do you use your words to condemn? Like all of these different things, if you struggle with these, this is a good spiritual gauge that you probably need to seek out God more. Let's keep going. Verses 7 and 8 says, Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This little passage here, verse 7 especially, is James's way of reminding us uh, the control that God gave mankind over animals. In, in Genesis, he says, you will have dominion over animals, right? I, when I was in Cambodia on the first mission trip I ever went on, we were going to see these temple ruins. And when I went up to these ruins, there was a little dirt road here. We're getting ready to cross the road, and my friend that was with me puts his arm out and stops me. He goes, stop. I said, why? And I look up, and instantly, there's this enormous elephant just walking in front of us, okay? And I remember, like, guys, I've seen elephants in the zoo, right? But I've never seen one two inches from my face. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm just looking at this elephant. I'm like, this thing is way bigger than, than I remember seeing in a zoo, right? And then I look, and the funniest part about it is there's this, this little guy just on top of the elephant controlling where the elephant goes. I was like, that guy weighs 100 pounds. And look at this elephant, right? It, this is the irony that James is using here. He says God has given us dominion over animals. He's given us dominion over the creatures of the earth. We can tame these animals. We can bend them to our will like we do horses, or in this case, elephants. Yet... We cannot control the tongue. We can control this massive elephant that weighs hundreds of pounds, and, but we can't control our tongue, which weighs nothing almost, right? It's the power of words. Verse 8 tells us that no man can tame the tongue, and this is true. This is true. The last thing I want you guys to do when we leave here is to think, okay, I've got to do this, this, and this to make my speech better. Seek the Holy Spirit. Seek the power of the Holy Spirit. Seek out God. Turn to God, and God will equip you to do it. Because what does this verse say? You can't do it on your own, right? If we are going to control what we say, it can only be done with the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That's it. So church, let's just pray that God can equip us to do better with what we say. Amen? All right, point number one, the power of words. Point number two, and then we'll finish up with this part here. The hypocrisy of words. The hypocrisy of words. Now, let me read 9 and 12 again. It says, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, this should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring 
yield fresh water. So before we dive into that, let me ask this question. You guys know what the term oxymoron means, right? An oxymoron, that's not a name I'm calling anybody, right? An oxymoron is a statement that contradicts itself, right? So if, if I was to say sweet and sour sauce, you'd go, okay, that's kind of a contradiction, right? A married bachelor, these are contradictions. Um, th these are statements that are contradictory. We're going to see here that James is talking about how um, there's a contradictory nature to a lot of Christians. So just to kind of get us in the mindset of contradictory statements, I thought I'd give you a couple of examples, all right? So here's the first one. Um, this is me, Matt Clark, right? Uh, Matt Clark, I'm going to show you a very contradictory word that goes with this. Okay, ready, go. Matt Clark and exercise, okay? These are very contradictory, okay? I don't do it, all right? So um, when you think of me, you probably don't think of exercise, all right? Next one. How many of you guys know Pastor Wayne? You guys know Pastor Wayne? He's amazing. He's, he's, my fa he's one of my favorite pastors. I love him. Check this out. Pastor Wayne and tall, very contradictory terms, okay? Now, the good news is Pastor Wayne's on vacation, so he can't mess with me. He can still beat me up, by the way. He's a beast. Um, and then the last one, I thought I'd do this in honor of how Pastor Scott deceived you guys last week, all right? A very contradictory term or statement to Pastor Scott is head full of hair, okay? Because, <laughs> where's the camera? Hey, Scott, he's on vacation too. I think he's watching. Hello, all right? The joke is he's balding. That's why we call him Scott LeBald. But he, uh, he... Oh, man, I love it. I'm going to be working for that guy someday. We'll see what happens. All right. So James tells us something similar in this passage, right? He says that Christians, the problem that he's seeing is that a lot of Christians are blessing the Lord with their words, like in church and worship service, but then they go and they curse people made in his likeness. They're praising God with their words, cursing people that are made in his likeness. It's hypocrisy. It's contradictory, right? Loving God and hating others are contradictory statements. Now, if I'm being honest, this is the hardest part of the passage for me. This is the part that I just want to be like, yeah, let's skip over that one. But no, all right, we can't do this. This is why I read the Bible, right? Guys, we have to be careful of how we talk about God's people. And this is everybody. Do you remember in, in, in somebody asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? Guys, everybody's our neighbor, right? We should love everybody. 1 John 4.20, and this is on the screen. It says, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, what does it say? It says, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. That right there is a very eye-opening passage. Because every person walking on this earth is created in the image of God. Everybody walking on this earth is made in the likeness of God. To love God means to love others. This is the fruit that we should see from someone who claims to be a Christian. And James uses this analogy, and this analogy is used so many times in the Bible about the fruit that we as Christians should bear. If we are a Christian plant or tree, we should be bearing fruit that is Christian, right? Your words should be the fruit of someone who loves God. Your fruit, or I'm sorry, your word should be the fruit of someone who loves God. Words of hate, words of gossip, these are not words of a Christian in the same way that an olive is not the fruit of a fig tree. What a plant grows should correspond with its nature. I heard one person talking the other day, and this person said, if you want to hear the voice of the devil, just listen to how people talk about their neighbors. 
Isn't that crazy? If you want to hear the voice of the devil, just listen to how people talk about your neighbors. And I'm not talking about right now, I'm not talking about people outside of the church. I'm talking about us as believers. I'm talking to myself here, okay? How sobering is it to realize that words that come out of our mouth are the words of Satan instead of the words of God? Sadly, this is true even within the church. I've, guys, I've heard what Christians say during sporting events about people on the opposing team. I've heard, this is a big one, I've heard what Christians say during election season about politicians and other people on the other side of the political aisle. I've heard what Christians say in the lobby out here right before church about other Christians. And guys, I'm not talking down to you. I'm guilty of this myself. So let's not make, don't let your words make you a hypocrite. Okay, if you claim to be a Christian, your words should match up. When you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, your words will match up with your Christian nature. When you allow sin to lead you, your words will match up with your sinful nature. Okay? So the question is, what is your nature? If you're following Jesus, your nature is Christ. Your, your nature is, is a forgiven creature, a new creation, right? Or is your nature sinful? If it's sinful, you're going to follow sin. If it's Christ, you're going to follow Christ. So the, the, one of the best things to do today is if you're sitting in this room and you know that your language isn't good, the first thing might not to be to pray to the Holy Spirit to, to clean up your language. It might be to pray to the Holy Spirit to save your soul. So if you're in this room and you've never given your life to Christ, that's step number one, is to acknowledge that a, a Savior died in your place so that you didn't have to pay the penalty for your sins. So let me conclude with this. What we say matters, okay? People's lives are literally on the line. Remember, your words can either bring life or your words can bring death. And we as Christians are supposed to bring life. We're supposed to point people to Jesus when in reality, a lot of Christians' words right now are pointing people away from Jesus. God forbid, that's not what we want. So here's what I wanna do. I just wanna conclude with three points here, just three little, we're gonna breeze through these and write these down, but this, is, this kind of sums up the whole message. Okay, number one, be careful who you let speak into your life. Be careful who you let speak into your life. First and foremost, the Bible is our source of truth. We go to the scriptures. But whatever small group you're in, whatever church or, or service you're going to, or if you move away and you're looking for a new church, uh, high schoolers, when you go off to college and you're finding a new church, you want to find somebody who is so true to scripture, okay? Be careful who you let speak into your life, including your close friends, right? including your close friends. Number two, don't let your words contradict your Christianity. Don't let your words contradict your Christianity. If you claim to be a Christian, your words should be Christian. What this means is maybe there's somebody that you need to ask forgiveness from for something that you've said. If you've said something non-Christian, that's okay. Ask forgiveness from them. That's the Christian thing to do. Maybe there's someone in your life that you need to share the gospel with. Maybe you've got a family friend or a family, a friend, a coworker, somebody in your neighborhood that doesn't know Jesus. The most Christ-like thing you can do as a Christian is tell them about Jesus. And then finally, number three is expect words in return. Expect words in return. Now, here's what I mean by this. I'll, I'll explain this. Is, as I was preparing um, for this message, um, I was doing some research. You know, as you learn, the, this letter written by James is an epistle to the church. And it's, it's written to the, it says, to the Christians who are scattered abroad. And essentially, this letter is written to people who are being persecuted for their faith. A lot of these Christians were scattered because they were Christian. They had to leave their home and go somewhere new. And so, as I was preparing this message, 
it occurred to me that the persecution that we face as Christians in the United States is a lot different than the persecution that the audience of this letter faced back in the day. In America, we're not being thrown in prison or killed or tortured. I mean, not yet, right? But, but it's not happening on a mass scale here in the United States for our faith. The persecution that we face in America is actually what I talked about today. It's words, okay? We're not being tortured. We're not being killed for it. The persecution that we get is words, meaning that if somebody knows you're a Christian, um, the pushback that we face over our faith in America is people saying mean stuff to us or trying to uh, cancel us or trying to do all this stuff, right? Now, listen, I'm not saying it's not a form of persecution. It for sure is. But my point on this last thing in here is expect words in return. Meaning, if you as a Christian are going out and you, you're using your words to uplift Christ and you're using your words to try to lead people to God, expect words in return. Not good ones, probably, right? So expect insults. Expect people to say terrible things about you. This is not me saying. This is what the Bible says. Jesus said this. He says, they will hate you in my name, right? They're, they're going to hate you for, for sticking up for me, right? So in the same way that words from your mouth can be a gauge of your spiritual life, words said to you can actually be a gauge of your outreach. And what I mean by that is that if nobody's saying anything bad about you in your faith, you may need to step out in faith a little bit more. If you're not facing any kind of verbal persecution, you might not be sharing your faith enough. Again, I'm preaching to myself here. And then when these words do come back at us, we need to consider a badge of honor when people hurl insults at us for our faith. It's an honor. I mean, this is how James starts this letter. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds, right? Consider it a badge of honor if somebody uses words to make fun of you for loving Jesus. Remember as a kid, somebody called me a Jesus freak. I'm like, is that bad? I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it's, it's okay, right? When, when you're being made fun of for your faith, here's the cool thing about it. It makes you stronger. Guys, you, you realize, um, I forget which ancient father said it, but he said it was the, it was the blood of the martyrs that, that was the seed of the church, meaning the more blood that was shed, the bigger the church grew. And we as Christians, the more persecution we face, it's this awesome, it's this conundrum that people just can't seem to figure out. The more they persecute us, the more we grow. This is why I wonder in America, since the lack of persecution that we face, which is why the church is diminishing, right? But the more persecution we face, the more we grow. And, and, and so consider it a badge of honor. You become stronger in your faith when words are used against you or when you're persecuted. So, so what I want to do really quickly, and then we'll finish. Has anybody ever heard of a fiddle leaf fig tree before? Fiddle leaf? Okay, a couple of you guys. I'd never heard of it before until I was at, uh, I went to Chrissy Fuller's office the other day, and Chrissy, one thing you'll know about Chrissy is she likes pretty things, and she likes her office to look and smell nice, and that's awesome. All of us other guys, we don't really care about our office, but I walk into her office, and she's got this, this fig leaf, uh, what is it called? Fiddle leaf fig. I always mess that up. This fiddle leaf fig, and these things are known. They can grow up to like 50 feet in height when they're outside. Indoors, they can grow up to about 10 feet but you can grow them year-round in your office. And what was happening is they became popular. People are buying these, these fiddle-leaf figs, and, and, and they're pretty cool, right? They're known for their slender trunk and then all these. Well, I, walked into Chris, I was walking past Chrissy's office once, and, and, I, and I look in there, and she's got, she's got her back to the door, and she's just doing this, just kind of like fluffing them up. And I was like, I was like well, what, are you, what are you doing? And she just goes, oh, I'm fluffing my fiddle-leaf fig. And I said, well, I can see that, but like, but why? <laughs> like, what's the point, right? 
And so she told me this story, and I researched this, and this is, sure, this is true. A lot of people were complaining about their fiddle leaf figs because they would like tilt to one direction. And people were thinking, oh, they're tilting towards the light or they're, uh, they're getting maybe too top heavy and they're, they're tilting. And, and one guy said, here's the way to fix it. You, you fluff up the leaves, right? This is exactly what she was doing. And, and, I, and, I, and then we were like, well, why? People were asking what that is. Well, the country that these are native to, they grow in conditions that are very windy and very rainy. And what would happen is when the wind would blow these things, you know what would happen to this? The roots would grow deeper and deeper. And the deeper the roots would grow, uh, the stronger it was to counteract any attack from the wind or the rain. And so what in America, like obviously in Chrissy's office, there's no wind or rain, right? So what does she do? Is she's mimicking it by fluffing it up like this. In doing so, you're tricking the plant essentially to grow its, its roots deeper. Now that right there, guys, is a phenomenal illustration about Christianity today, isn't it? The more, uh, like, like think about it. If there's no persecution or if there's no resistance to your faith, you might have shallow roots. However, if the wind is blowing against and words of accusation are coming at you and people are just trying to beat you down for your faith or maybe you're a missionary and you're getting thrown in prison or whatever, guys, I'm telling you, those people are rooted in their faith that no matter what comes their way, this tree will not fall. And in the same way, what I want to encourage you guys as Christians, don't fear persecution. Expect words in return. Expect people to hate us for our faith because, guys, that's exactly what the Scripture says. And when it happens, your roots will grow so deep that there is nothing that can stop you from following Jesus Christ. Amen?